Hello everyone and welcome back to our final musical spark notes here on Attention to Detail, at least for this particular cycle where we have been looking at Wagner's Ring of the Nibelungs, fantastic, fantastic monumental work. I want to congratulate you first and foremost on making it this far. If you've stayed with us the whole way, however long it may have taken you, congrats for making it to this this final act of the final opera. If you've been skipping around, all good as well. Congrats on on showing an interest in this challenging but but incredible piece. I hope these breakdowns have been helpful, maybe a little bit informative, and introduced you to some great music. But we still have an enormous amount of great music left in front of us today for this phenomenal final act of Goethe Dammerung and the final act of the whole opera really sums up everything that's been going on musically, narratively. It's an incredible, incredible act. So we start with a kind of prelude of sorts again to this act, shorter prelude, and then really the first scene. And the first scene, uh, maybe the musically, musically the least interesting of, of the three scenes that we'll have, so we'll skip over this one a little bit, happens to be a scene that I, uh, in college, did an independent research project on and spent a huge amount of time reviewing the music of this scene. Of course, now when I look back, I think to myself, why of all scenes did I choose this one? It's kind of elementary and basic, but there you have it. I was seduced by the music of this scene in college because it is it is really great music despite being a little uh, one-dimensional. But in any case, we open. Siegfried has gotten lost from his hunting party. He was out with, with Hagen and Gunther, and they were hunting, but he's gotten lost, and he's found himself on the banks of the Rhine. Here's the opening to Act 3 of Götterdamme. All right, so true Wagnerian fashion, he introduces us right off the bat to the leitmotifs that are going to be most important to this scene. We hear, of course, Siegfried's horn to open this ardent uh, young hero who's, who's playing his horn on the banks of the Rhine. Then we hear Hagen's motif, this falling half-step, sounds like this. We hear that a number of times. We also hear this motif. That's the motif of the Gibichungs, or more importantly, Gunther at this moment. Um, so we hear, and then, uh, very importantly, as Siegfried is at the banks of the Rhine, we hear this motif as well. And if you remember all the way back to the beginning of Das Rheingold, that's the first motif we heard in this entire 
ring cycle, the motif of the Rhine, where it all started. So we return to where all of this started for the beginning of Act Three, and Siegfried shows up on the scene, and we've actually opened on, sorry, before Siegfried shows up, we open on the Rhine Maidens. We're back to the Rhine Maidens, the first characters we met in this entire cycle, and now they're mourning the loss of their gold. At the beginning of Das Rheingold, they were, you know, praising their Rheingold. Now it's been stolen and that's stolen. And in similar music, they're now mourning the loss of their gold. So Siegfried shows up and they see the ring on his finger and we hear the ring motif several times. But the Rhine Maidens, they've kind of been these slightly vapid, seductive characters so far. And they keep kind of singing their song to him. They're kind of teasing him a little bit. Siegfried gets mad that they're teasing him. Of course, he he's this very arrogant guy in a way. He doesn't like being teased. He doesn't like being mocked. And then they ask him to give the ring back. They say, you know, you, you don't really understand what's going on. You should return that to us. And when they say that, for the first time of many times in this act, we hear the fall of the gods motif. You'll remember that's, that's the motif that the name of this opera comes from, Götterdammerung, Twilight of the Gods that falling motif represents the twilight or the fall of the gods. So then important moment we'll listen to about a minute of music here where they tell him there's a curse on that ring. You should know there's a curse on that ring and it will lead you to death unless you return it to the Rhine, to us, where it came from. And let's listen to that important moment where they give him a real warning. You'll remember though, at the moment he's, he's not himself. He's still under the grips of this magic potion that he drank that made him forget Brunhilde, fall in love with Gunther's sister Gutruna. And if this if this sounds familiar, then you've probably been following along. If not, no big deal. Just important to know that he's taken this kind of, uh, he's been given this magic potion, which has tricked him into kind of forgetting all of the stuff that happened to him. And now he's, he's being manipulated by, by evil villains. So, Here's that moment where they tell him the ring is cursed. Chiefs are coming fast and furious now that the Rhine Maidens ask for the ring back and they say that it's cursed. They tell Siegfried that it's cursed when they sing that we hear this. That is, of course, the motif of the curse, what Alberic sang way back in Das Rheingold. And then at the end of that clip, we heard Hagen's motif, we heard the Nibelung's motif. But then at the end of the clip, we also heard this. Mm -hmm. 
That is a version of the Rhine Maidens motif again. They're asking for him to return it to them, to the, the original possessors of the gold, which we heard way back in Das Rheingold. So they warn him again, but he's both diluted by the, uh, diluted by the, um, not diluted, he's diluted by the magic potion. Uh, maybe if the magic potion had been diluted, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be in such a, a tricky spot here, but he's been diluted by the magic potion. But he's also this kind of brash, arrogant figure. So he's talking about how he slayed the dragon. He says he'll never give this ring back. And they scream, they say, he's a madman. And then let's listen to one more moment where they say, the ring he will not surrender. Farewell, Siegfried. A woman proud will this day they, their wealth inherit. Our prayer by her will be heard to her. So they mention some, some woman is going to, you know, be the one who actually returns the ring back to them. So the first kind of foreshadowing of potential events that are to come. But we, of course, haven't experienced those yet, but let's just listen to this moment of music and our leitmotifs, as usual, might give us a clue as to what they're talking about. So right when they sing, a woman will return this, this ring to us, here's what we hear. It's a little faster than we've heard it before, but we know what that is. That is Brunhilde's motif. And so our leitmotifs yet again, giving us the information we need that Brunhilde might be the one who actually ends up returning this ring to its original possessors. So then we go on to scene two. We end this kind of uh, slightly flirtatious, but also portentous scene with the Rhine Maidens. We hear a lot more of their music and the scene ends like it begins with, with the motif of Siegfried's horn. So then he calls back to the men of this kind of hunting party that he got lost from and they find him by the Rhine. There's some of the vassals of the Gibichungs, Hagen and Gunther. So Gunther is still there. He's he's kind of depressed. He's feeling the loss of his honor. And Siegfried, to cheer him up, I guess, offers to tell the story of his youth. So we get another Wagnerian moment where Siegfried tells his whole story. We've seen most of this already, but we get it recapped with all of the necessary motifs. He talks a lot about how he learned to understand the wood bird. If you listen to our Siegfried reviews, you'll remember that that he he drank some dragon's blood and then was able to understand what birds told him. And the bird told him that he would be the ruler of the world. The wood bird also warned him that Mima would, would try to steal the ring from him. And then let's listen to an important moment as he's recounting this story when Hagen says, you must be thirsty, let me give you let me give you another drink. And this is going to be a second potion that's going to reverse his this the effects of this magic potion that he drank originally. It's going to restore his memory and he's going to go back to, he's going to forget all that currently happened, but he's going to go back to his original undrugged state where he's in love with Brunhilde and 
he remembers that he went through the magic fire, rescued her, all of these things. So let's listen to that important moment when Hagen gives him this reversal magic potion. All right, so there we hear this kind of suspended, uh, very tranquil music as he, he comes out of this reverie, and then we hear the Brunhilde motif again. Of course, he's remembering now his love for Brunhilde that he had, you know, he pledged to her his, his life, um, he was going to guard the ring. All this is coming back to him now that the effects of the magic potion have been reversed. So he's no longer in love with Gatruna, and now he's remembering what happened uh, later on after he slayed the dragon, the things that he had forgotten because of this magic potion. So he, he recalls, now let's listen to another couple of important moments. He recalls the moment where he woke up Brunhilde and they fell in love. Let's listen to this briefly, this, this important moment of music. So there we might recall the, the motif of, of Wotan's love. It's the motif that we heard when Siegfried made it through this circle of fire, the one that goes like this. Important motif as he's recalling this. And then kind of quite suddenly out of nowhere, you get a dramatic uptick in the action and a very, very quick succession of events. Two ravens fly above, and Siegfried, of course, he's been he's learned to understand birds, and he sees them, and he he understands what they're saying, and they're they're portending doom. And almost immediately, Hagen stabs him in the back. Uh, very suddenly, remember, Hagen's been told by Brunhilde in her anger that Siegfried is weak in his back, so he stabs him in the back. This is his. Achilles' heel of sorts, and let's listen to this moment when Hagen, when Siegfried sees the two ravens, and then he gets stabbed by Hagen in the back.
So there we have it. Siegfried stabbed in the back by Hagen, literally and metaphorically. Um, Hagen, of course, acting like Siegfried's friend and pal up until this moment, but really his true intentions were known by us the whole time. And you hear several motifs layered on top of each other in quick succession there. The curse motif with Hagen's motif, then Siegfried's motif leading to this kind of cataclysmic chord. And then we hear a very important uh, idea at the end of that jump, bum, 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 this kind of heartbeat type figure. And that's going to be an important figure for the next 30, 45 minutes of this opera um, as we deal with the, the implications of Siegfried's death here. He's not dead yet, but but sorry, spoiler alert, he is going to die from this, this stab in the back. So we'll keep that figure in mind. So Hagen stabs him in the back. And of course, we heard right at the end, end there too, the men are saying, Hagen, what have you done? Why did you do that? And Hagen says, we hear a lot of the destiny motif. And Hagen says, that's falsehood's payment. So if you'll remember, Hagen made Brunhilde and Siegfried swear this oath that they were telling the truth. And in taking him out of his reverie, having him tell the rest of his story, Siegfried has confirmed that he was the one who was lying. You know, Brunhilde gave him that ring out of love and he accepted promise to defend it. And so now he's broken that oath and Hagen takes the opportunity to stab him in the back. So then we get uh, a very important moment and we should listen to about a minute of music here because Siegfried is now, he's dying and he's kind of having these like minor hallucinations. He's seeing things in front of his eyes. He's seeing things clearly now again. The, the spell of the magic potion has gone. And let's listen to a little bit of this music when he's kind of recalling back to when he met Brunhilde. He's recalling all of the, the positive moments in his life. So here's that moment after he's been stabbed when he's kind of seeing things on his on his deathbed of sorts here, seeing his life flash in front of his eyes. So if we can remember back to the end of the opera Siegfried, where Brunhilde met the character of Siegfried for the first time, this is the exact same music that we heard then when she opens her eyes out of this magic sleep. And now it's like, it's like Siegfried's eyes have been opened out of his, his drug-induced, potion-induced reverie. And he's seeing clearly for the first time again. And he's remembering Brunhilde and he, he says her name, you know, um, He's singing all of this 
this flowery language about her. And he's kind of recalling all of the positive moments in his life. He isn't even thinking about the betrayal that, that just befell him. But this is a really incredible moment that we're coming up to here in the opera now. It's in the, in the link below. This is at about three hours and 44 minutes into the opera. So we've certainly made it a long way lengthwise into this piece by now. But uh, about three hours, 44 minutes in, we come to a spot that's, that's known as Siegfried's Death and Funeral March. It's one of the most famous orchestral interludes from all of Wagner, frequently played by itself. I'd encourage you to listen to these eight minutes or so uh, just on your own. We can't play all of it right here, but it's incredible, incredible music, very imposing. It starts with this, though. We'll play a short clip here, what we hear at the beginning of his... So he then dies, and uh, Gunther orders the vassals to kind of put him on this this funeral pyre and, and carry him back to the, the Hall of the Gibichungs. Gunther is kind of traumatized. He doesn't understand why Hagen has actually done this. It's a very shocking event to him, but they, he carried, he, he orders the vassals to, to hold this kind of funeral procession for Siegfried. So they lift him up and here's, here's what we hear at the beginning of this Siegfried's death and funeral march. So in a very minor, imposing manner in the brass, we hear the Velsung motif. If you remember, that's the motif that represents uh, the race of, of people starting back from, from Wotan to Zygmunt to Siegfried. Um, and we hear that at the beginning of his kind of funeral procession. And then slightly later, uh, we hear, let's hear this, this important moment as well. This is... Uh, the beginning of his actual funeral march and we'll hear a couple more very important motifs here so just skip a little bit ahead here's the music that we hear a little bit later Two very important motifs. First, we hear that jump, bum, 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 that kind of heartbeat again, signifying that that moment when Hagen struck down Siegfried. And then, very importantly, this is a motif we've heard many times before. This one. Thing that we heard in kind of chorale form, very ominous, very slow there. That is the fate of the Velsungs. We've heard that many times when we've heard uh, 
allusions to the, the, the idea that a member of this Velsung race was going to meet their demise in some very tragic way, some fatalistic way. And of course, the culmination of that is what just happened, Siegfried being stabbed in the back. So this is the most ominous, the most somber, the slowest version of that fate of the Velsung motif coming to its kind of culmination here in in Siegfried dying, getting stabbed in the back by Hagen here. So then this is one of the most triumphant things that that Wagner ever wrote. It's kind of his ode to this this dead hero. Clearly Wagner saw Siegfried as this incredible Germanic hero representation of so much of what he stood for. Of course, we now know that they knew it then, but we certainly know now um, that so much of what he stood for was was in many ways reprehensible. And so uh, to to listen to this music is is kind of double edged in a way. But there's no denying how incredibly triumphant and glorifying this this music is of this this dead hero. So we should this is one of the most famous and, and best moments in the ring cycle. Here's the kind of culmination of Siegfried's death and funeral march. So a couple important things there. First, again, we've, we've, we're getting motifs now that are kind of culminating at the end of the opera, reaching their full apotheosis. So we hear Siegfried's sword there, Notung, the one that goes like this. And then we hear that, that moment, boom, boom. Boom, boom. It's that same rhythm that we had, but it's been turned from that imposing, treacherous minor into this, you know, very positive, triumphant major, kind of showing that the spirit of Siegfried, uh, his his kind of good intentions that that were betrayed by the likes of Hagen won't be won't be extinguished, and we hear that that death motif transformed into a very triumphant motif here at the top of this, the climax of this Siegfried's death moment. And then, of course, the other major apotheosis for a motif here is Siegfried's own motif, the one that goes like this. We hear that 
proclaimed by the brass at the end of that clip. So an incredible moment, triumphant music. And that is, is Siegfried's death. I'd encourage you to go and listen to this. It, it won't be in eight minutes wasted, I promise. Some of the best music Wagner ever wrote. So then we transition to the third and final scene, and this funeral procession of Siegfried is, is bringing him back to the hall of the Gibichungs. And there, Gutruna is waiting for him, and she is kind of, she's nervous, she's, she hasn't slept, she's had these premonitions of doom. She's looking for Brunhilde, but she hasn't been able to find Brunhilde. So Hagen returns first, and he says he's bringing the spoils of their hunt um, that they just went on. And Hagen lies, Siegfried shows up, and Hagen lies and says that Siegfried was killed by a boar. And let's listen to an important moment. Then Gunther shows up. He is traumatized by what has happened, and Gunther accuses Hagen. Hagen says... Yes, I actually did kill him. You know, it wasn't the boar, it was me, but that's because he broke this oath. And Hagen claims the ring for himself. He says, I'm the rightful owner of this ring now. I killed Siegfried and, uh, you know, I should have this, I should have this ring. So let's listen to that important moment as well. So not a super motivically dense moment. We hear some of Hagen's motif and Gunther's motif, but an important moment in the plot where Hagen claims the ring for himself. And then a battle ensues. Gunther says, no, I disagree. Um, you know, the ring should go to... I don't even know if he says who the ring should go to, but presumably he wants it for himself. Or uh, maybe Gatruna, who was to be married to Siegfried. Um, but... A battle ensues, and Hagen slays Gunther. Of course, Hagen is the, the villain of this whole thing, so Gunther is not going to give him a, a serious challenge here, but this is an important moment, and then right after Gunther is slain, Brunhilde enters. So let's listen to this battle between Hagen and Gunther. And I should read one of the stage notes, because Hagen kills Gunther, and then he reaches at, to, to Siegfried's hand to, uh, to take the ring for himself. And Siegfried, who is dead... Siegfried's hand raises itself threateningly, it says. So something possesses Siegfried's dead hand and kind of warns Hagen, stay away. So this all happens in this, this short clip here. So let's listen to that moment where, where Hagen slays Gunther.
right, so a lot happens there. Hagen Hagen slays Gunther. He he the the Siegfried's hand raises up threateningly, and then Brunhilde enters. We hear that kind of tranquil music as she comes on, and very peacefully, but also very ominously, we hear the the Twilight of the Gods. That descending motif that sounds like this. That falling idea, which will play a huge role in the next few minutes of the opera as we we come to the close here so Brunhilde is kind of in this dream state at the moment she she sees that that Siegfried has died but she's kind of um it's very ethereal music it's like denial but also uh just kind of resignation to the fact that this was this was faded from the beginning so we hear a lot of Siegfried and Brunhilde's love motifs recapped as she's kind of getting her bearings Gatruna feels terrible, and in her shame, she admits to Brunhilde their plot that they conspired and poisoned Siegfried, and that that was all the result of a magic potion. He was he didn't actually mean to take the ring from her. All that stuff that she was so mad about, of course, was was caused by them, not by him. And Brunhilde has this kind of solemn exhaustion to her. She's just she's tired. She's instructed to kind of conduct herself that way. And so then she she orders a funeral pyre to be built. She tells these vassals, build a funeral pyre for me. And at four minutes and four seconds in the in the recording below, we start what's called the immolation scene, the most famous scene, the final scene uh, in Wagner's Ring Cycle. So if you want to listen to the whole immolation scene, it's about 20 or so minutes long. It starts at four minutes and four seconds. So uh, four minutes... Sorry, four hours, four minutes, 40 seconds. Four, four, four. Four hours, four minutes, 40 seconds. Um, so there's a lot of this kind of procession music as, as Siegfried's body is brought in, but also as, as these, uh, it's kind of funereal music because they're building a pyre for, for Brunhilde. And she sings about how pure Siegfried was. She's, she's appealing to the gods. She, she's kind of upset now, and she, she looks up and she asks the gods, did you get what you want? Um, and she, she sends a message to Votan, her father. She says, rest now, oh God. It's this kind of, uh, you know, did you get what you asked for? Look at, look at what all of your mach- machinations and kind of back dealings here on earth has led to. This guy getting stabbed in the back. Now Gunther is dead. Hagen is trying to claim the ring. Like you've caused this through your hubris, through your meddling. So let's listen to this moment where she says, rest now, O God.
So there, as she says, rest now, O God, we kind of hear a transformation of the Valhalla motif. This is the moment when she says, you know, what's supposed to represent godhood and immortality and, and Votan in a way. She says, you know, rest now, O God, this is, this is what you did. So now she's got renewed uh, energy. She says she's going to return the ring to the Rhine. We hear a lot of the Rhine motif, and we hear a lot of the Rhine Maidens motif. And interestingly here, I should mention the musical key that we find ourselves in, because we are back to the key of E-flat major. And if we can remember back a month, back 16 hours in music, to our first episode, to the first opera of Das Rheingold, we began this entire cycle at the bottom of the Rhine in E-flat major, hearing the Rhine motif, hearing the Rhine Maidens motif, and we hear that again in the same key. We've returned after 19 hours, 16 hours, 19 hours, something like that, to where we began. And we are now back in, in E-flat major where we started. Incredible moment, you know. These are hard things to hear over the course of, of 16 hours, but when you actually, when you just realize that fact, it's, 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 it's chilling in a way that, you know, we've, we've gone all over the place tonally, uh, hit every possible key you can imagine, but we're back now to E-flat major. So Brunhilde tells the ravens, Wotan's messengers, to send a message to Wotan and to Loga, the god of fire. We hear a lot of fire music. She's sending, she says, the end of the gods is near, uh, and we hear a lot of the downfall motif. We also hear a lot of the fire, Loga's motif. He's the god of fire because the idea is you know, Votan has also been, remember, he's been, at the beginning of this opera, we remember he's been collecting wood from this kind of world ash tree and preparing for the end of the gods. He's going to burn down Valhalla. And so Brunhilde sends him this message with the ravens, you know, the time has come, uh, the, the end of the gods is near. So we hear tons of that downfall motif. And then if you want, if you don't want to listen to the full 20 minutes of the immolation scene where you absolutely have to listen is from four hours and 16 minutes in the recording below until the end, because this is the, the end of, of the immolation scene and the culmination of all of the action, incredible music. So I'll play some highlights now, but really this is a, a tour de force until the end of, of the piece. So here's one highlight where Brunhilla says, in fire radiant... Lies there, my lord, Siegfried, my hero, blessed. And so she's saying she's going to give herself to this fire where Siegfried also lies. He's being burned and she's going to throw herself on the fire as well. So let's hear that moment of music, very important moment, these last few minutes. So there we hear a couple of motifs that we've heard already. We hear a lot of a lot of fire music, and we hear Siegfried's motif many times. But we also hear maybe the single most important motif from this opera, which we've heard already, but we haven't heard a lot. It goes like this. And if you can remember, all the way back to Valkyrie, this was first sung by Sieglinda and it was when she had lost Zygmunt, but she learned that she had a baby, 
And it's kind of the redemption or transformation motif. It's out of a negative comes a positive. Hate changes to love. Treachery changes to, uh, you know, brotherhood or something. It's, it's, a, it's a motif that's meant to represent the renunciation of love turns into the acceptance of love. All of these kind of negative themes get transformed into positive ones. That is the transformation or redemption motif. And we hear that there as Brunhilde sings that she's going to be returned to her hero Siegfried. Incredibly important motif. So we hear a lot of the fire music. We hear that motif over and over, a lot of this transformation motif. And then let's listen to the moment where she actually throws herself on the fire and she, she grabs the ring, she throws herself on the fire, and uh, the ring... It's weird. The, the fire is kind of maybe in the water, like on an island, or but somehow by throwing herself on the water, she's also simultaneously returning the ring to the Rhine, to the Rhine maidens. So here's that moment when she, she finally immolates herself, as the immolation scene name would suggest, and she plunges into the fire, into the Rhine. So key moment, she throws herself on the fire. Of course, we hear a lot of fire motif. We also hear she actually rides Siegfried slash her horse onto the fire. I should have mentioned that. So we hear the horse's motif, which is kind of that ride of the Valkyries. So ba -bum, ba -da -bum. we hear that as she, she rides onto this funeral pyre. And then another important moment of music. I'm just going to hit the highlights here, but you should really listen to the whole thing. Hagen then throws himself into the fire as well after the ring. He goes, the ring is mine, and he jumps into, maybe he doesn't throw himself on the fire, he might just jump straight into the Rhine, but one way or another, he kind of ends up killing himself too, throwing himself after the ring. We saw, if you listen to our Lord of the Rings review, this is very similar to when, when Gollum, the character of Gollum, throws himself into Mount Doom after the ring because he's been possessed by it. So Hagen doing a similar thing here. Clearly, Tolkien got the idea from, from Hagen here throwing himself into the Rhine after the ring because he's just possessed by its power. So let's listen to that moment as well. So one last curse motif that we get to hear there right at the end as Hagen throws himself into the, the Rhine. We hear the Rhine kind of bubbling up there with, with its fast, watery motif. It's, it's starting to, to kind of overflow in a way. And I wanted to read for you the, the stage directions here as this immolation scene is going on. They're kind of long, but I'll just read them quickly. So Voglinda and Velgunda, those are two of the Rhine maidens, embrace his neck, Hagen's 
with their arms and draw him with them into the depths as they swim away. Floss Hilda, the other Rhine maiden, swimming in front of the others towards the back, holds up the regained ring joyously. Through the bank of clouds which lie on the horizon, a red glow breaks forth with increasing brightness. Illuminated by this light, that's actually Valhalla burning. I guess it'll say it later, sorry. Illuminated by this light, the three Rhine daughters are seen swimming in circles, merrily playing with the ring on the calmer waters of the Rhine, which has gradually returned to its natural bed. From the ruins of the fallen hall, the men and women in the greatest agitation look on the growing firelight in the heavens. At th as this at length glows with the greatest brightness, the interior of Valhalla is seen, in which the gods and heroes sit assembled, as in Valtrauta's description in the first act. We don't need to worry so much about that. Bright flames appear to seize on the hall of the gods. As the gods become entirely hidden by the flames, the curtain falls. So yeah, that, that red light burning is Valhalla, because Votan has set his home of the gods on fire too, because everything seems to be coming crashing down here. Let's listen to one more moment before we listen to the end, because there's one cool thing I want to show you. Uh, musically here. So this is happening. While all this is happening, we hear this music. So incredible, incredible moment here at the end of, of Get to Damarang. We hear three motifs that we've never heard together before, and suddenly they come together and we realize they fit perfectly. They've been designed this entire time to be played on top of one another. First, the Rhine Maidens, the one that goes like this. got the redemption motif, the one that goes like this. And the Valhalla motif, the one that goes. So we hear them in succession there. I didn't miss the, the Valhalla motif, so I didn't play the exact notes that were being played here. But we hear those three motifs all together at the same time, it's an incredible feat of, of musical composition, tying these threads from the entire ring cycle together in this one musical moment, and we see they just fit like the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle together right at the end. He's known all along that they would fit, but he saved it for this final, final moment as Valhalla burns and this kind of gets transformed. Things are set back to normal because the ring has returned to its original place in the hands of the Rhine Maidens. So now let's listen to the very end uh, of this incredible, incredible opera. And I should point out now, we are in the key of D flat major, which is the key that started our second scene of the entire opera, which was kind of the start of the actual action, 
when Wotan is sitting in his hall uh, in Valhalla, his newly built Valhalla, with all the pride in the world, you know, no cares or no concerns of any kind. And this is the key that we will end the ring cycle in D-flat, the one that we started the, the action in. So we return to the Rhine, E-flat major. Now we've returned to D-flat major, the key that started the second scene of Das Rheingold. And we've returned there for this kind of transformation of everything that has, has happened over the course of this massive cycle. So here is the last uh, kind of minute and a half or so of Götterdammerung of the ring cycle, some incredible, incredible music. Right, so there are the final notes of, of Götterdammerung, the final notes of the ring cycle. Incredible, incredible ending. Just a couple of things I want to point out there, though. So we hear the downfall of the gods. We hear Siegfried's motif one last time. We hear the downfall of the gods, that falling motif. And then the final light motif we're left with, the one that ultimately wins out, is the motif of transformation, of redemption, the one that sounds like this. Now, one thing about that motif, you'll notice the last note, it's not really a conclusory, uh, nicely wrapped up motif. It's not like this, for example. That sounds resolved, but it's not resolved. There's something left to be resolved. And it turns out the only time we've heard this motif resolved is in this very, very last passage, the last notes of the ring cycle, which you heard there. It goes like this. And then finally it resolves to
that turns out to be a D flat major chord. It's the last chord we hear in the ring cycle, and it's the first and only time that that redemption motif will resolve there for us and come to a sort of conclusion with the ring returned to its rightful place. It's just an incredibly poignant, soft, but poignant ending to an incredible cycle, Wagner's ring cycle. And with that, we come to the final notes, the final music uh, of Wagner's Ring Cycle. I want to thank you again so much for joining us for this, this fun journey. I hope it's been a little bit informative. Uh, it's introduced you to an incredible, incredible piece of music and an incredible saga in the Ring Cycle. Hopefully at some point when we get back to normal here in post-COVID times, you might be able to go and see some of the Ring Cycle so again, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe as always. And keep an eye out. We'll be back to some of our more standard style of episodes, listening techniques, discussions with guests, all of the good stuff. And as I mentioned before, we're also shortly coming out with our blog on www.attentiontodetailpod.com where there will be all this cool other content for you to follow along. So I want to thank you for coming on this journey, and we will see you back shortly for some more episodes from Attention to Detail. For now, though, I'll sign off, and thanks once again. Hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you soon.